This podcast is brought to you by Illuminate, the Lehigh Business Blog. To learn more, please visit us at business.lehigh.edu slash news. Welcome. I'm Jack Croft, host of the Illuminate podcast for Lehigh University's College of Business. Today is February 2nd, 2021, and we're talking with Chad Meyerhofer about what went wrong with the federal government's distribution plan for the COVID-19 vaccines and his thoughts concerning the Biden administration's plans to bring the pandemic under control in the United States. Dr. Meyerhofer holds the Arthur F. Searing Professorship in Economics in Lehigh's College of Business. His research focuses broadly on the economics of health and nutrition. Much of his work involves the use of microeconometric methods to evaluate and inform public policy. Thanks for joining us again, Dr. Meyerhofer. Thanks, Jack. It's good to be here. Yeah, you know, it, it seems like another world almost, but it was only in December just before the holidays, a matter of weeks, that um, we discussed what the federal government's role should be in a global pandemic. And at the time, distribution of the first FDA-approved COVID-19 vaccine, the one developed by pharmaceutical giant Pfizer and German biotech company BioNTech, was just getting underway and a second vaccine developed by the National Institutes of Health and Moderna soon followed. While you were critical of many aspects of the federal government's response to the pandemic, you were fairly optimistic about the federal government's distribution plan, as were, I think, you know, most experts at that time. So starting with a very simple question, what went wrong? Well, it turns out that a number of things went wrong. And at the time, you know, we, we did have reason to be optimistic because both the production and the distribution of the vaccine was all kind of managed under this Operation Warp Speed. Uh, the production phase went relatively well, and that's in mostly because uh, in the United States and across the, across the globe, the development of vaccines has really been the purview of large multinational drug companies. And they're pretty good at you know, de- determining how to go about doing that from a scientific perspective. And there are some scientific break- breakthroughs that happened that allowed um, them to derive a vaccine much more quickly than in the past. Now, the other thing that, that happened was we in the United States adopted what's called production at risk which means that we started producing doses of the vaccine before uh, final testing had been conducted yet. So that if it turned out that a vaccine candidate was successful, we would already have doses in the pipeline. And so that happened both for the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccine, and which means we did have a leg up on the supply of the vaccine available. Now, you know, On the distribution point, um, things hadn't happened the last time we talked yet. Things, we hadn't really had any of the vaccine being distributed yet, and we were just about to have that occur. Right. And, you know, looking at the Operation Warp Speed plan, you know, it looked like we would have federal coordination of vaccine distribution in terms of delivery, in terms of tracking, and also um, the help of the military with logistics and added support to do the vaccinations. And what we found out actually happened though, is that there, was, there were some failures in 
you know, many of those things. So, you know, first of all, we didn't have full tracking of the vaccine. So the federal government only tracks vaccine up to the point where it was distributed to the states and it no longer kept track of it. And so now we're, we're in a situation where we're, you know, we have um, 20 million doses of vaccine that have been issued to states that haven't been administered to patients and we don't know where they are. We can't account for them. So the Biden administration is currently in this sort of, uh, frenzied uh, mode in order to try to figure out where those doses went. And you know, from a technological standpoint, it's certainly something that could have been done. But that in and of itself is not the most important um, limitation that we've had in the response of the federal government. The main problem is that the, the government, the federal government really did not take the lead on vaccine distribution. It handed over much of the administration of the vaccine to patients, to states and public health agencies at the state level. And that was not something that we would have expected looking at the plan that was developed under Operation Warp Speed. Now, now granted that plan was uh, very terse in terms of its detail. It didn't have a lot of detail. It was more of a broad overview of what to expect, but it really implied that we would have more federal involvement here. And so um, there's a couple of problems with that. One is that you know, states are limited in several ways when it comes to you know, doing something on the scale that's necessary to get the COVID vaccine into people's arms. One is that they're facing significant budget shortfalls due to the, uh, you know, the uh, lack of tax revenue that's being generated from you know, the fact that the economy has been so, so harmed by this virus. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're in a situation where they don't have as much funding from tax revenue as they usually do. And at the same time, they have to somehow recruit extra resources in order to accomplish this objective. The other thing is that, you know, states don't have what we would call surge capacity. So Surge capacity is that you have, you know, a, a normal level of operation in any public health agency. And then during an emergency, you have to bring more people to, to, to uh, address a certain problem. And so you have to have more employees, you have to have more time put in, you have to have more resources. And so that's something that like, for example, the military can do very well. Like they have a normal level of operation and then, you know, when we fight a war, there's this huge surge in resources that is uh, projected onto whatever the mission is. And we have a few mechanisms to do that at the federal level, but states, they just don't have the reserves to be able to recruit um, people to help out with this vaccine distribution. Um, nor do healthcare systems. So, you know, because many healthcare systems are already overburdened treating COVID positive patients, there's not like a lot of extra healthcare workers out there that can, you know, give these vaccines. So then the question is like, who's gonna do that? I think initially we thought that the military would play a larger role here in basic logistics and also vaccine administration. Mm -hmm. And um, that really hasn't happened for, a variety of reasons, I guess, but 
you know, in the early stages of the pandemic, we did have almost 45,000 National Guard troops called up to help respond to the pandemic. And, you know, a while, that was, of course, several months, many months before we had the vaccine available. And so the assumption was that, you know, the military is very good at logistics. And then the assumption was that once um, we came to the vaccine distribution phase, the military could really help private companies to manage that logistical challenge of getting the vaccine everywhere it needed to be. But now, you know, so, or not now, but like in December of 2020, um, a little over a month ago, when the vaccine was just starting to roll out, we only had about 18,000 National Guard troops deployed under what's called Title 32. Now, the, the distinction in the title there is important because normally uh, the states are responsible for paying the cost of a National Guard deployment, unless it's under something like Title 32, where the federal government plays, pays. And so having only like 18,000 troops, you know, called up under Title 32 to help distribute the vaccine is much, a much smaller number than what we expected. Like just to give you as, you know, a comparison, when the National Guard was called to after, in the aftermath of the, um, the storming of the Capitol, there were 26,000 troops called up, you know, for just to, you know, just to secure the Capitol. And we're only talking about 18,000 troops that are that are that have been called up under Title 32 in December for COVID relief. And you know, if we if we take a look at the whole size of the National Guard, there you know there are about 445,000 troops in the National Guard. So there's certainly you know the capacity there to have um, a larger role being played by the military in terms of logistics and even vaccine administration. Um, we also need the federal government to, you know, so there's a resource issue. That's one thing that we need the federal government's help for. Okay. You know, the, we need the federal government to uh, be able to train people to administer the vaccine, to pay them, and then to make sure that this is being done consistently across the country. And that hasn't happened. Um, so because you have every state is sort of doing things differently, you know, what that means is some states are gonna be more effective than others. Uh, like West Virginia, for example, has done a pretty good job of distributing the vaccine, but other larger states have not. And the reason why that's problematic is that if the virus is relatively uncontained in some states, then having that happen will, is, is going to allow that virus to persist and put everybody in the country at risk, you know, more so than would be the case if we had like an even approach across the entire country. And in order to have that even approach, you really need to have federal oversight, which hasn't happened. And in a way, it's like we haven't learned our lesson from the, the problem with PPE that occurred, personal protective equipment, the, the shortages we had there at the early stages of the pandemic. You know, so if you recall, you right. know, there wasn't enough PPE and states had to go get it on their own and there was no federal coordination and it just didn't work. And so we're revisiting that now um, with you know, the vaccine distribution. Right, looking at that from kind of that broader um, perspective, I mean, there are certain things that 
many would argue states do uh, more effectively than the federal government. There are some things that the federal government does more effectively than states. And kind of getting back to that first question of the role of the federal government in the global pandemic and, you know, in this case, how that relates to the role of the states, um, you know, it sounds like in a, a, a national health crisis, which is actually an international health crisis, it's imperative for the federal government to be taking the leadership role in this to make sure that there's a more standardized approach. Is that summing it up? Yeah, that's absolutely correct. So, you know, in the United States, we are unusual as a country in that we have these multiple layers of government, so relatively less federal control, and we allow states to manage a lot of things on their own. And so the advantages of that are, you know, states can kind of tailor the provision of some services to the preferences of their population. Uh, so for example, you know, they may have, states may have different like state and local tax systems. And, you know, having, you know, different systems across the country can be good because we might find out that in one state, like the way that they collect taxes is more effective than in other states and other states can learn from that. Or, you know, you know, we also have, for example, local control of education. And so, you know, that allows some states to put more resources into education or different stress, different things in education if their populations you know, desire that. And so there's some things where, you know, having local control is good, but there's some things where having local control of something doesn't work out as well. And that's in the case of what economists call situations where there are externalities. And um, the classic case of, a, of an externality or negative externality to, is, is one where someone doesn't get vaccinated actually. And so think about it this way, like if you have um, each state administering vaccination programs differently, in some states, it's not gonna work very well and in other states, it might, it's probably gonna work a lot better. So in the state where it doesn't work very well, the virus is gonna be less well controlled. And so it's gonna survive in that area and then even if all the other states did a good job with their vaccination programs and started to get people vaccinated, the fact that the virus was, was uncontrolled in that one state would put all the people living in all the other states at risk. And um, that's because the, you know, the virus isn't gonna be contained essentially within the state that has a poor vaccination system. It's eventually gonna spread out across the country again. And so if you want to um, manage a problem like this that just goes across state boundaries very easily, you need to have federal oversight so that you can attack that problem in a consistent way and make sure that you don't have any of these hot spots, these, flare, these places where the virus is flaring up or being resistant. You can't have that. You know, you have to kind of, you have to um, be able to you know, manage it at the same level everywhere. And so that's just in terms of the effectiveness of fighting the, you know, the virus. There's all, a whole other set of issues associated with equity. You know, in some states, you know, it could be that the elderly get a different priority than in others. I mean, they may all be following, following like CDC guidance, 
But because of the way they've set things up, there could be a lot of inequalities that occur across states and access to the vaccine. Mm-hmm. And you know that's something that only the federal government can really manage. So this is a coordination problem. And it's a clear case where the federal government needs to take the lead because only the federal government can coordinate this activity across all the states. One of the other things that's changed since we last talked is that um, a new administration was inaugurated and President Biden quickly implemented a more centralized approach for the federal government in countering COVID-19, describing it as a, quote, full-scale wartime effort. Uh, What are some of the most important differences between the approach of the Biden administration and, and that of his predecessor? Well, one of the most important differences is that under the Biden administration, there is a comprehensive plan. So you can actually go to you know, the White House's webpage and you can pull up the Biden administration's plan for the coronavirus pandemic and it's a 200 page plan. You know? So there's a lot more detail there, which is you know, that in, an, in and of itself is important because um, in the previous administration, we did not have any evidence of that type of comprehensive plan And so having it out there allows people to read it, to scrutinize it, to comment on it. It allows it to be improved. And so it's important to have the visibility of the plan that we wanna put into effect just to make sure it's the best plan that that we can have. So there is a plan. And then there's definitely, obviously like all types of um, federal plans of this nature, they're not, you know, they're not, they're, they're not always, specifying things to a very fine level of detail, but there is certainly evidence in the Biden plan of a higher level of coordination and the the fact that some additional resources are gonna be be brought to bear on the pandemic. You know, so for for example, if a few additional, um, a few things that the Biden administration is doing that weren't being done under the past administration are uh, higher rates of funding to healthcare providers in order to pay for the administration of the vaccine. So removing you know, cost as a barrier to some extent uh, to, for vaccine administration. The other thing is the potential use of the Defense Production Act to increase the supply of certain um, items needed for vaccine administration. So if you recall, the previous administration had talked about potentially using Defense Production Act, in particular for the um, production of personal protective equipment, but it was never actually put into effect. But at the same time, like, you know, a, a lot of times when, when you have situations like this, it's, it's, it's the logistics and distribution that are really the challenge, not necessarily the supply of the vaccine itself. So you have to have enough PPE, you have to have enough syringes, you have to have enough like other sort of inputs into the process that are necessary. And that you have to have enough COVID testing kits, you know, which we haven't had enough of. Using the Defense Production Act can help us in the short run ramp up this, those necessary supplies very quickly. The Biden administration is also allowing funds from the FEMA Disaster Relief Fund to be distributed for this purpose. So that's liberating more financial resources. They're also gonna have a coordinated federal public education campaign 
you know, basically ensuring people that the virus is safe, that it's effective and communicating the need uh, for people to get the vaccine. Right. Um, so famously in the last administration, there was a real lack of any type of encouragement for the use of um, devices that are fundamental to the management of a pandemic, in particular face masks. And the new administration has made it clear that until everyone's vaccinated, you know, we have to follow social distancing guidelines, we have to wear masks. And you know, doing what it can do with it, with what's 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 it um, within its authority to do, in terms of enforcing the use of masks, they can enforce it on federal property, which they've done. So there's definitely more of um, a coordinated response here. There hasn't. There's nothing in the plan about you know, the use of the military specifically to um, help with logistics and uh, distributing the vaccine. But there is, there are some things like the use, you know, the ink that are where it could come into play. So, for example, the Biden plan talks about increasing access points where you can get the vaccine. So they're starting to, you know, draw more heavily on pharmacies to be able to administer the vaccine, right. which is, of course, you know, where you get your flu vaccine, right? Is from you know, most people, many people get that from the pharmacy. Mm-hmm. But you know, the 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 challenge there has been. Um, with these vaccines, they have to be stored at a very, very cold temperature. So it requires like specialized equipment in order to have the supply at a place that's not like a hospital. Um, but that takes, you know, resources, it takes money, you know, that takes some additional effort. And so it seems that the Biden administration is putting the effort into being able to distribute the vaccine at those locations. I mean, we did hear, excuse me, we did hear something about that, um, you know, back in December and November. I remember listening uh, to uh, one of the representatives of Operation Warp, Warp Speed talk about like these mobile vaccination centers where they had like these mobile cold storage units where they could ship and administer it. And, but we, we just didn't see, you know, that in the community. And, and so that may exist, but it, but at a very, at a very low level. And so hopefully what we'll see is those types of efforts are being um, increased significantly. Well, hopefully there, um, the next time we talk, we're, we'll be talking about progress and, perhaps even turning a corner. Um, but we thank you for, for following this closely and for coming back to share what's happened over the last, uh, just over a month. And we look forward to talking with you again at some point. All right, thanks, Jack. It was great talking to you as always. I'd like to once again, thank my guest, Chad Meyerhofer. Dr. Meyerhofer is a research associate at the National Bureau of Economic Research. Prior to joining the faculty at Lehigh, he served as a research economist at both the CNA Corporation and the U.S. Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality. This podcast is brought to you by Illuminate, the Lehigh Business Blog. To hear more podcasts featuring Lehigh business thought leaders, please visit us at business.lehigh.edu news. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Lehigh Business. This is Jack Croft, host of the Illuminate podcast. Thanks for listening.